This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking seriously stripy and in 50 shades of grey, it's Alan Edward Herbert Grey, our very handsome horticulturalist. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. And over in Cambridgeshire, I have to say, we have the inimitable Thordis, Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. And it's her fault that I'm looking stripy because this concoction here, I mean, this wonderfully knitted scarf was a Christmas present from my dear friend Thordis. So thank you for that. It was many months in the making. There was a lot of love and quite a few mistakes <laughs> as well. Um, everyone needs to go and look up Stephen West who designed that pattern. It's amazing, he's amazing. But someone else who's amazing is our guest on the podcast this week. Uh, he's also pretty inimitable. He has many hats. He is Matthew Pottage or Pottage as I often like to call him. Uh, <laughs> curator of RHS Garden Wisley and also quite the radio person. Gardener's Question Time panelist on BBC Radio 4. Uh, also submitting various handy tips and tricks for Friday Gardening Guilt with Vanessa Feltz on BBC Radio 2. So you do get around Matthew. Oh yeah, well you know how it is. Uh, <laughs> lovely to see you both. I, I feel positively underdressed now looking at Alan's scarf and his glasses. <laughs> I know, he's always so coordinated. Mind you, and we were snooping behind at your house, which is looking beautiful. You've got some great pictures on the wall and these fabulous fronds coming out of your head. It's like a halo, like one of these wonderful ecclesiastical artworks. <laughs> it looks like a headdress, doesn't it? It looks yeah. like I am living in a, yeah, in a jungle or a houseplant shop. What is that? Is that a, is that a Kentia palm? Uh, it's a dipsis. It's a dipsis lutescens. Uh, and if I, it's probably far too big for the space. You know, I quite like having ridiculously sized plants in small spaces. That's the um, first thing in interior decoration, Matt. Oh. That's one of the things people always tell you, you know, if you've got a small space, stick something big in it. It could be a piece of furniture, it could be a plant, works well. I so, I so agree with you, Alan. It's so true, isn't it? Because normally yeah. people think, oh, well, it's really small, so then I either can't do anything with it, or I'll just put tiny things in it and then make no impact at all. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, Yeah, it's so nice to have something that's a bit of a statement, I think. Yeah. There was a great teddy bear by that plant as well. It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> a rather old moth-eaten Paddington bear. We saw him in this junk shop, in this antique shop. I kind of felt sorry for him. It's quite sweet. <laughs> I think his nose is actually higher than his eyes. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> No, I'm not sure about that either. <laughs> no. Oh, he's he might, hilarious. I think he might scare small children. <laughs> um, Matt, I, I, I never asked if you've got a middle name to add to our sort of big middle name extravaganza. I do, George. Matthew George, very princely. And if my friend Peter was here, he calls me George Margaret Pottage. <laughs> we're, not going, we're not going to talk about that. No need for that at all. <laughs> leave us hanging um I'm sure everybody already knows about you Matthew but there would be no point inviting you on the podcast if we didn't get you to tell us uh, all about Wisley all about the work you do you've been at Wisley for a while 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, I went there 16 years ago to train as a student on the on the diploma course there. And yeah, kind of worked my way up to the curator position, which I have today. And it's just such a brilliant place to be. There's so much going on. It's always very dynamic. It's full of great people. And the plant collections of Wisley are just immense and keep me inspired and my team inspired. And, you know, I say 16 years, I mean, that sounds like a lifetime because most people my age seem to change jobs every three months. <laughs> and then, you know, when you catch up with people and it's like, are you still at Wisley? It's like, yeah, still at Wisley. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when there's so much going on and so much change, and also, as you guys will know, when you're gardening, it's not, you know, when you plant things or lay out a border or something, you want to see that for another two, three years. And that's not a long time. Whereas, you know, I guess if you're based in a trendy office in East London, you're bored in 10 minutes. So then you leave after a month. <laughs> I don't know. I think gardening does make time go faster. And it's a rare treat to be able to really watch a place evolve and see those things grow. And of course, Alan, it's, it's something you talk about so much having gardened at East Ruston or Vicarage for so long, being able to see trees go grow from saplings to really fantastic specimens. Well, I, I, you know, there's so many things you can, you can talk about this really, because um, the, I'm, my one thing is there is nothing such as a tree that makes you feel old, because <laughs> I, I have a Wellingtonia in the garden that I planted. It cost me 50p from a roadside a thing you know um somebody had selling stuff outside their house and i thought oh that looks interesting stop <laughs> planted it today it's probably i can see it from my office window it's probably 60 feet tall i mean you know that's that tells you something doesn't it <laughs> uh, but i would i would just say one thing i mean it's what 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 you say is very true matt you know you it it our relationship in horticulture is in terms of in terms of years probably than than in months shall we say um, because it has to be. And the other thing I would just say is that it, however old you are or however, however old you get and or lucky enough to be, shall we say, having weathered the storms of life, don't ever give up on planting trees because I haven't. And I'm still planting trees today and I've still got trees in pots waiting to go in the garden. And I know that I'll never see that tree you know, I probably won't be here in 30 years time to watch that tree and look at it and appreciate it, but somebody will. And I was mm. also, I mean, this people used to say you, you, when you plant pears, you plant them for your heirs um, because they take, such, well, they take such a long time, but that doesn't matter. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, they really do. And I think it's one of the most wonderful parts of a gardener's job planting trees, especially, you know, long term trees that, you know, are going to make a landscape feature. And, yeah. you know, I'm so, as you probably know, I absolutely love um, my conifers and yeah. some of the, you know, some of the amazing redwoods, monkey puzzles and cedars, you know, they were all, they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all our predecessors, you know, and the Victorians yeah. never knew what they would grow into or they'd never see them, but thank God they did plant them because it's so yeah. amazing for us. Well, there's a, I'll let you into a secret. I mean, there's not many times I'd, I'd, I'd say this because I don't want people to know that we don't have successors here at East Ruston. But we were walking <laughs> the dogs yesterday afternoon and we started many years ago a pinetum in a very small enclosed space surrounded by Monterey Pine. Um, and a couple of the plants, because it's so far away from the house, we can't get water to it, so I can't irrigate it. And a couple of the plants have died, but I went in there and there was a Wellingtonia and there was a monkey puzzle and it was just... This monkey puzzle had gone in and almost shrunk when we planted it. And it's now sort of, 
I don't know, five, six feet tall. And it's looking really healthy. And it's got a really strong leader coming up. And I thought, that's my boy. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> they take a bit of time, don't they, when they're young? They do. They they once around. they go, they go. Yeah. And I, the other thing about monkey puzzles is that you get, you know, when you open your gardens to the public, as I do, you frequently get um, people ringing you up and saying, I've got a monkey puzzle in a pot and it's really grown too big for my garden. Would you like it? Well, <laughs> you know the story of monkey puzzles, you know, it puzzle a monkey to climb that because it's so sharp and, and jagged and all the rest of it. And so off we go and we collect this monkey puzzle that's no longer wanted, only to find when we get there that is rooted through the pot, through the concrete or whatever surface there is oh, there. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we brought one back about five years ago now. Um, and I thought, well, it will never live. We got it out of the pot. We managed to plant it. We gave it three stakes to stop it from being blown over. And it has just said thank you with the most delicious amount of growth. It is incredible. Oh, that's great. Because they yeah. they're not always that tolerant of root disturbance. So it sounds like you were lucky there and did well. I think it was lucky. <laughs> it's nothing to do with skill, Matthew. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to hear conifer appreciation as well. We were doing a bit of conifer appreciation last week with, with Ian Roof, who brought uh, lots of sort of little bits and sprigs that he wanted to sort of rave about because the conifers have, you know, gone out of fashion. They get a bad press and, and there are some amazing ones that people could, could and should grow. Yeah, totally. I actually snipped a bit off one of my favourite ones in the garden, which I will show you because I think it's just such an undervalued thing. If I can show you the, the full plant through the window later, I will. But you can't appreciate the silvery colour so much, but it's a podocarpus and it's podocarpus elongatus blue ice or ice blue. I might have got that the wrong way around. Uh, but yeah, it's a lovely silvery long leaf podocarp. And we've got quite an old, large one in a pot at Wisley. And people often think it's an olive tree from a distance because it's so yeah. silvery white. Uh, and it's just really beautiful and not seen a lot. And podocarps are really useful. You can clip them. They regenerate from old wood. Um, and we're doing a, some trials of box alternatives at Wisley at the moment. And some of the podocarpus nivalis types, I think, have got really good potential as future, you know, topiary and box replacements but podocarps just don't seem to be grown that widely and you know there is probably some of the largest leaf ones could be a bit tender but you know there is an enormous uh, huge weeping podocarp at the Savile Gardens and in, in Windsor and you know the tree there has seen some really bad winters over its time it's enormous and you know I just think there it's a plant group that's not really tapped into much. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, I didn't recognise that when you held it up at all. Um, I saw you write it down, though. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always very interested in, in the Nirvana's group, too, because, I mean, we're all, we're all interested in, in plants that, um, shall we say, make good box substitutes, because box is being, you know, we, we know about box blight, but now we've got this box caterpillar thing as well, and it's just as if everything, all the odds are stacked against box, so find an alternative. Been using all the euonymus here as well in, as a substitute. But I think yeah. the thing is, Matthew, I don't know whether you will agree with me on this, but I do feel that gardeners, they want something that looks like box that isn't box. And they've got to get out of that comfort zone and they've got to appreciate another plant for being another plant and having slightly different characteristics. I couldn't agree more with you, Alan. And I don't know if you've seen, I posted a picture actually on Instagram the other day of how a box alternative planting at Wisley in our wall garden where we're doing these kind of an informal tri uh, trial 
uh, of clipping these small leaf shrubs into different shapes. And we've got pittosporums, berberis, podocarps, augustrums. There's quite a lot in there, carochias. And we had a study day about a year and a half ago with all different head gardeners from different places to come and look at it because they were discussing all the problems with box. And there's this one chap that kept piping up every time I was talking about these different genera, saying, well, it doesn't look like box, though. it's not box, though, is it? But box would do this, but box would do that. It's like, yeah, I know it will, but box is dying, isn't it? And you've come on this study day to look at alternatives. I know, it's a carochia called Silver Ghost. It's silver, it doesn't look like box, I know. And it was a bit like, goodness me, did you know the name of the course before you came here? I know it's not box. Phenomenal. That's why you should have called it. That's what it's saying, shut that up. It was quite something. And you're right. I mean, if you can't see beyond box and can't have, you don't have any imagination to do anything other than that, then keep planting box and spray it with everything under the sun and, and enjoy that for what it is, because I don't think it is the way forward. But you just need to think a bit differently and a bit creatively because... Exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of that, that thing that you always talk about, Alan, when a plant dies, especially if it's a tree, it's easy to, to focus on mourning it rather than see the opportunity. And I think it's very similar with box. Yes, the alternatives are going to look different, but then isn't that an opportunity in its own right? Absolutely. I mean, talking about mourning things, there's a, I think there was a group of seven eucalyptus in our Californian border opposite the desert in the garden here. Um, and in the winds just before Christmas, the high winds, one of them blew down and it went smack bang across the desert. It smashed a few plants, but the damage is not that great. But I was probably amazed to think that they're 40 feet tall and I grew them from seed in 1991. Um, and I said, you know, you feel, you feel like you're, you're the parent to that thing that you've raised, that plant that you've raised. Um, but they had to come out because if one's going to go down, they're all going to go down. And we've just had the tree fellas in. And I was writing about this the other day and I said, well, you'll mourn it for two weeks, but then you'll suddenly wake up to the fact that you've got this wonderful new space, this fabulous opportunity to plant something else. And you haven't got to gaze at eucalypts. I mean, you can always have another eucalypt. They, they grow fast enough, for goodness sake. And I just thought, actually, when you mentioned Podocarpus elongatus, was it? Yes. Yes. Ice blue or blue ice? Or blue chip, I think it might be, Alan. Blue chip, right. Good, isn't it? Every five minutes, I'll come up with a different name for it. <laughs> She's trying to confuse me now. <laughs> but I think that, that would make a, make a nice addition to that border, in actual fact. Oh, it would, with its lovely glaucous blue foliage. Yeah, yeah I think it's well worth a try. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that well known when we got it uh, at Wisley and was speculative of just how hardy it would be. And we took cuttings off the mother plant, which was donated to us. And one of the team, because all the, they all rooted really quickly and easily, and one of the team planted some out. And it was just before that bad winter of 2010. And yep. we had really freezing temperatures. The plants are only small. I never thought twice about them surviving. I thought they'll be dead 100%, you know, and, and they came through it. So I'm actually very hopeful for how tough yeah. that could be. I uh, think the hardiness is a, is a strange a strange subject, if you like. I mean, I find it impossible to say what's going to be hardy where and what isn't. Um, you probably find the same thing. I mean, in a garden, you can plant three specimens. One will die and two others won't. Uh, <laughs> it's odd. And plants that, you know, if you look in really old books, uh, you know, things like Pyrrhus and Camellia being grown yeah. in a cool conservatory. Yes. Uh, 
And then you know, when we was uh, in our first lockdown, was having lots of walks around uh, London areas and West London, where I am. And there's a house not far away in West Kensington. And the Bougainvillea is nearly three stories up the front of the house and <laughs> seems to have flowers on it all year round. Uh, and it's really interesting just... But that's, a, I mean, that's that. I always think of London gardens when I used to live in London and we used to come back to East Ruston at weekends. We had to live in London to earn a decent living in those days. Um, but the, the difference with, uh, as you say, West London gardens was incredible. And they were probably a month to five, six weeks maybe ahead of the garden here on the on the North Norfolk coast, which is to be expected, I guess. But I mean, you know, roses, climbing roses w- would be blooming in the end of, uh, end of March, beginning of April in central yeah. London. We had to wait until May, you know. It's quite something. I mean, obviously, the global warming effect is having an effect on all the country. And as you say, London's always been ahead with its microclimate. So, you know, add the two together and it's really... Uh, you know, it's really noticeable. I mean, yeah. the the downside of that is we've got lots of ivy in the back garden. I absolutely love ivy, but it has active aphids on it almost 12 months of the year because it's never cold enough to clear anything up. Uh, <laughs> and scale insect on everything, muscle scale on everything, uh, yeah. and cushion scale. But, you know, take the rough with the smooth, you can't have everything. You have to, but those scale insects are absolute devils to try and get rid of, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they are a menace. Yeah, and they're always... You know, they just seem to always be on the Cubas and Lizard Lanissa are out there. That's always full of it. And Pisisporums. And you get them uh, on Camellia too. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, you do. You're right. And then, and then of course, you get, that, you get that wonderful sooty effect, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Blackened leaves. <laughs> yeah, people often ring into the radio about that in, on Radio Norfolk and they ask about the, about the sooty mould on their leaves. And, um, you know, they, they, they think it's something that's probably caused by atmosp- atmospherics, if you like, um, rather than the um, insect that who's out at the other end from underneath yeah. the roof above it. And then this fungus grows on, on, on the excretions. Yeah, it's just poo going mouldy on the leaves. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's uh, almost quite a feature now, some of the uh, Viburnum tinus in central London is so full of thrip. And the thrip is now active almost 12 months of the year. So it's constantly feeding and it turns the leaves silver. And there is a big Vibellum tinus not far from me, and it literally looks like the leaves are baco foil. The whole thing is silver. I mean, it's obviously terrible and it's disgusting and full of thrip, but yeah. uh, it's fascinating result. I'm sure whoever lives there must wonder why their plants gone silver. <laughs> well, they probably do, but I mean, I mean, I have to say the whole race of Vibellum tinus are not my favourite plants. I can't think of a duller plant um, <laughs> in the garden. I remember when I was a child, we had one, and we used to we used to pick flowers off it to take to church on Mother's Day. And, you, you know, in those days, you were allowed to pick primroses from the ditch sides. And we used to make up little posies to give our mothers and they had to go to the uh, service to be blessed and all the rest of it, um, which was charming in those days. But now, of course, we're not allowed to do it. But we had this Viburnum tinus. We always picked it, but it was never in flower. It was always in bud. So we had pink buds and primroses. Yeah, that sounds pretty. They are quite pretty in bud, and actually the fruit's quite nice from memory, isn't it? They have a bluish yeah. fruit to them. Yeah, bluish, bluish, blackish fruit that's quite shiny. But the leaf, if you take the leaf, the leaf is a dull leaf, much like a rhododendron. It's it's dull, it's not light reflecting, there's no cheer in it. No, it's not. And and also the leaf litter, when the leaf litter's wet and soggy, it has a nasty wet dog thing going on. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take that stinky thing away. 
it's not an appealing thing. I mean, for dry shade, I actually don't mind the variegated cultivar, but you don't see it about very often. Well, I've got it in the garden here, and I'd have to say it's much more cheerful. I mean, the, the green in it is much brighter than, than the plain green of a, an ordinary viburnum tinus. Um, but the slashes of gold with it, I mean, certainly cheer it up a bit. It's still not wonderful, but I'll give you this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, if all else fails in dry shade, try this. Yes. Alongside loving conifers, are you also a bit of an advocate for variegated plants, Matthew? Yeah, I do like a variegated plant. I think they're a bit misunderstood, actually. Uh, and normally when people say to me, oh, well, we had all that in the 70s. Oh, yeah, I used to have spider plants in the 60s or whatever. It just, well, I wasn't around to see that. I don't remember that. So I don't have this. Them, which I don't know. It's interesting. I've, I can't work out what why people have that but the the generation like the house plant generation on instagram going crazy for variegated cheese plants variegated aroids variegated philodendrons you know going for hundreds of pounds and it's just interesting to think if people are now starting to get back into variegation uh, i think i like it just because i seem to like everything that nobody else likes and i don't really know why but reason for liking it matthew <laughs> <laughs> just the sheer bloody mindedness of it i love it <laughs> I just I love foliage plants I mean I, I, I like flowering plants but I, if I just had a small space which I do here in Fulham it is just nearly all foliage plants and I just love the different shades textures forms and the display you can make you know even with pink leaf things I'm quite into begonia rex and I think it sends a lot of shivers down people's spines when I start describing the things I grow in my garden um uh, <laughs> But yeah, I just, I think they're really, they can be really useful. No one seems to have a problem with variegated hostas, interestingly. Everyone's always happy to plant variegated hostas. And then you start suggesting other variegated plants and people almost fall off their perch. And it seems to be quite a, an unusual thing. But what's your take on it, Alan? Are you a lover or a hater? Oh, I'm a lover, definitely. I mean, I, I don't. There's not much in the plant world that I, do, I, I dislike intensely, apart from bibonotinus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and photinias, I don't like photinias because I find that the, the length of, of stem between each leaf node is too, too long to make a graceful plant. And people will plant them as hedges and they don't make a good hedge and they won't learn. And I just give up on everybody that wants to grow photinias. But I, I mean, variegation, I grow spider plants, but mine is the curly one. Have you seen the curly one, which is mm. a abhorrent thing, really, probably, if you look at it. But the leaves are twisted and curly. Um, and I've got a couple of plants in my orangery here that have got cascades of babies coming off them. And I love it. I think it's a lovely thing. Um, yeah. In general, I'm a fan of. Um, Grisolinia. Um, I went, it's interesting because I went to find a piece to photograph for Thordis the other day of Grisolinia Bantry, no, Dixon's Cream, sorry. Oh I yeah. Um, and I went to find my plant and I couldn't find it. And I suddenly thought, well, where's it gone? And I looked there and there's this massive plant with plain green leaves. <laughs> it had reverted. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I have to say it's in an area where I seldom go, but I mean, I hadn't noticed. And there were about four bits of variegation. So it's on the list now to, to be cut back. But I mean, I love that kind of variegation. Um, we get the, um, the, I mean, Grisolinia littoralis is a good color green anyway. It's that light, yeah. uh, light green. Um, and it has a lovely cream heart in Dixon, Dixon's cream. But that's one of the things you have to watch with an awful lot of variegated plants, especially shrubs, is that they will revert. And if you let the green take over, of course, you lose your variegation. 
Yeah, you do. And obviously it can be a bit more, well, it is more vigorous, the whole green part of the plant. So uh, yeah. there's a couple of uh, street trees, actually not far from the Chelsea Flower Show, and it's the Acer, it's a variegated sycamore. I think it's Dramondii, which has a yeah. variegated leaf. Uh, but that most of the yeah, most of the trees on these in their Sloan Square are all reverted and it's the most yeah. revolting looking affair of green branches, variegated branches. The green exactly. branches are huge, the variegated ones are behind. It's a complete mess. You do need to keep an eye on them, you're right. You do. You it's do. a shame people get so snobby about variegation. I sometimes think gardeners, they really relish poo-pooing something you're growing. I've I've really sort of waxed lyrical about, it's just over outside my window, I've got um, a couple of those variegated euphorbias ascots rainbow whatever readily available quite common but people love to go oh that's horrible i mean first of all each to their own and secondly i think it's beautiful <laughs> thirdly how dare they insult your garden thoughties it's, yeah. it's like the jumper you're wearing go and change it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i also think there's there's maybe just something with the terminologies so like if i you know show a group of people at podocarpus and say i've got this really fun evergreen look at this everyone will go oh ah that's lovely say it's a conifer and then everybody turns their nose up and it's just you know everybody thinks oh conifers are bad heathers are bad variegated plants you know and actually if you just pick the individual plants matthew you you're too young to know of all this i lived through it um and it was <laughs> it was blooms of Bressingham, and they they when the, many many years ago in the sixties. I mean, they started off by promoting these wonderful miniature conifers, um, and you'd go through every, all, all the little suburban gardens around everywhere has winter flowering heathers and suburban conifers, um, and of course the conifers stayed miniature for a while, and then they started to grow. Um, so we had this. The thing was that everybody did it and it became ubiquitous. And once that something becomes ubiquitous, people don't like it anymore. And so they demand a change. And I think that that was what happened to conifers the first time around, if you like. And I think it is time that they are due for um, a much needed resurrection and a fresh look at them. And I think yeah. it's interesting and it has to be through somebody like Matthew Pottage because <laughs> it has to be through a younger pair of eyes to open the eyes of the oldies, if you like, that have been there and seen it and done it, because it's an entirely different take. It's, I think it, they'll, you know, I almost think of conifers a bit similar to grasses, like they're a really good foil to mix in with other plants. And I think, you know, dotted through other mixed plantings, they can be really effective. And I must admit, some of the conifer plantings I've been doing at Wisley uh, were, were not uh, well received by a chap who I won't name, but was... Um, is well known in the conifer industry and he was you know he was absolutely confused with what i was doing with them and he was saying no if you're planting these very blue conifers you need a very yellow conifer next to it for the contrast you know these the base of this is perfect for heathers don't know why you're mixing them in with herbaceous plants you know it was very very rude about what i'd done with them and i say i'm not trying to recreate 1979 i'm trying to do something different with them yeah. so uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I do think they need, you know, just using differently. And it's not about planting a conifer garden. And when people imagine my garden, they think, oh, it must be full of conifers. And it's like, no, it's not at all. I think they're lovely mixed in with other things. It's not yeah. about just stamp collecting and shoving everything together, uh, which... There's also the, a great point that you haven't mentioned yet and I haven't mentioned yet. And that is the winter value of, of the shape and the structure and the colour of, of conifers, because... 
I mean, we've got an area here called the Thalitrum Garden, um, and we've got lots of, we're putting in lots of conifers through that. And it is just wonderful in the winter because they, you know, they're there. They, yeah. they shine. You perhaps don't notice them so much in the summer when they're, you know, surrounded by all the frippery and the frills and furbelows of all the flowering things. Um, but you do, in, you certainly notice it in the winter and it's lovely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's quite a testament to a gardener's skill, what, what a garden looks like in the middle of, in the depths of winter, you know, what are its bones, what are its structure. And if it is just collapsed herbaceous plants, then, you know, I think it can be a bit lacking. And, you know, those photographs you always see of standing seed heads with a hoarfrost on them, of course, that's lovely, but that's for a few hours, you know, a few mornings a winter. And the rest of the time, it's grey and drizzly and the herbaceous you know, plants you know collapse. That seed head is good for one thing only. Well, two. It's good for the birds and it's good for the insects. And it's also good for calendars, but I don't want to imagine. <laughs> Shall I show you a few plants? Yes, please. I'm afraid it's snowing quite a bit. So, well, yeah, I've got quite a narrow garden down the side of the house, but I use the external windowsills uh, of these sash windows just to bring a bit of plant life closer to the, to the house. And then... There's a case here with some ferns. Oh, that's clever. I've got a nice rapis palm here with some uh, mother-in-law's tongues. That's a and kind some... of distorted, variegated mother-in-law's tongue. That's rather fascinating. That's one called Twisted Sister. I've got one of those. <laughs> the plant <laughs> or the sister? <laughs> that's my planted chair, which is a ficus and zamiaculcus. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and it's just actually growing out of where these springs would be, where <laughs> the cushion springs would be. Did you do that or did somebody help you do that? That is fantastic. No, no, I did that. I got the chair from an antiques fair and then took all the springs out and then added a planter box and then planted it up. Wow. I think it's a really novel idea that. It's... That could be a fashion a, trend for 2021, Matt. Oh. <laughs> it's a real talking point when people come over. And then just some mixed succulents in little troughs here. Gosh, you've got quite a bit of snow. <laughs> oh, it's snowing loads here at the moment. I hate snow. I'm very <laughs> in a bad mood about it all. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my Aracaria Cunninghamii. That's fabulous. It's got a lovely uh, trunk. That's cool, Astroloba. And then a big urn of uh, Hawarthia. And then this Bucania I've had since I was about nine or 10, probably. Oh, I've God. had this forever. What a great spot for it as well. It's good. That's very interesting because you've got, you've almost got like mini orangery there with a, with a glazed roof. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's t obviously tiny because it's London and everything is a million pounds, but it's a little nice feel of a greener house to the end of the living room, which is yeah. nice. And then the garden is annoying because everything's covered in snow, but you can just about see what's going on out there. Lots of spiky leaves. Yeah, lots of ocagabias, cordylines. You can just see the begonia rex down there, the... Yeah. The plum coloured leaves. That is going to make everybody terribly envious because presumably that lives outside all the year. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's so rare to have any kind of frost or cold here. So that does stay outside. And then I'll just show you a different view. There we are. Uh, 
So from the bathroom, there's another little group of plants. Lovely. Absolutely incredible. And then last window, which is the better view of Aspidistra. Oh. Can you see the variegated Aspidistra in yes, the foreground there? Yeah. People are often quite rude then, about Aspidistras, I think. I, mem I remember being, I looked at it yesterday. I, was, I remember being given one um, quite a few years ago, and I remember 25 years ago, probably. Um, and I really didn't know what to do with it. I didn't, certainly didn't want it as a house plant. So I put it in the garden and I went and looked at it yesterday. It's very strange. Um, and there it is sitting in the garden and it must be a meter across. And really? it's been there yeah. ever since. And, and I mean, I thought I was going to put it in the garden. It would die, but it didn't. You see, it carried on. They're, they're surprisingly hardy, aren't they? Well, they are yeah. really quite tough. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. this platycerium stairs outside here on the windowsill. Yeah, fabulous. Can you hear all the sparrows? It feels like I'm in a bird sanctuary. I can, yes. <laughs> yeah. Got, I thought you've got Avery there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> We've got some bird feeders, and it's uh, a very popular spot. And here's Freddie Bear. Oh, hello, hello Freddie Bear. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'll go back to where I was, and then the signal's a bit better. The, um, the house plants uh, in particular, I think such um, such an inspiration, you know, you mentioned spider plants and, you know, people think about house plants and maybe they, they think about an area or a, um, a spider plant or even, you know, your good old devil's ivy that I've got behind me. But what a fantastic range of unusual and really inspiring house plants there. I think there's such a great part of being able to enjoy the well-being of gardening if you don't have a big outdoor space. And even if you have no outdoor space, just uh, looking after your houseplants, you know, picking them over, wiping the dust off the leaves, watering them. You know, when people say they want low maintenance things, I often think, do you really want low maintenance things? Because doing the actual maintenance, caring for the plant, watering it, potting it on, you know, that's all really good stuff. That's really nice work to do it gets you off a screen you're engaging with something you're nurturing something and i you know i love pootling around messing around with the house plants rearranging them moving them about it's i find it brings me a lot of pleasure yeah exactly it's good husbandry anyway it is yeah, yeah. it's the same yeah. you know it's the same with gardening and you'll know yourself alan just you can end up losing a whole weekend just pottering about and it's really really nice <laughs> You do. You end up pottering. I was planting some snowdrops the other day, which I have in pots, um, and I started pottering. And, and I didn't really plant that many snowdrops, but I was, I was just pottering. I was raking up some few leaves, you know, a bit of compost here and a bit of compost there, a bit of fork, tickling with a fork in between some plants to make it look pretty um, and get a bit of air into the soil. That's something that people don't realise um, is quite... Is, is as important as it is. We had a lovely lady on here thought us with us, didn't we? We were talking about uh, the conditions of soil and and you know people I keep telling people don't go on the garden when it's wet don't tramp about on the garden you know stay on the path and work into the garden um, and that's probably what I was doing fiddling around on a kneeling mat and I, I, you know two hours had gone and I'd enjoyed myself and had the most wonderful time. It's um it's funny actually your garden being so small because I have a tiny garden and Alan obviously it's easy to see how you could lose days in thirty two acres but actually in a tiny garden it's possible to lose hours. Um, <laughs> it's like I always say even in a small garden things can creep up on you. You know there there can be things that that grow or self seed and suddenly you see them um, and they can kind of hide away even in a tiny plot. 
yeah it's very true i mean that back area that i showed you before i mean it's completely paved over everything there is in pots so it is sometimes fun just to literally rearrange what you're looking at take you know take everything to one side it always needs a good sweep and a tidy up and you know prune back some of the ivy on the fence and then completely reimagine what you're looking at and reposition everything change things around and you know you can spend a whole weekend doing it and it's <laughs> it's lovely you know whereas you know sometimes the other way of looking at it will be well I'm renting this place so it's not worth doing anything and the garden's paved over so we can't do anything there's no point can't take the paving stones up blah 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 uh, but actually just doing everything in pots we can take it all with us when we do move at some point and brings you loads of pleasure and I think if you're in a rented place and you think I'm not going to do anything with the space because I don't own it it's like fine but you're the only one that loses out because you're the one that's yeah. looking at it every day <laughs> yes no, and, and actually, I think we always end up saying so many plants prefer to be in the ground, but it is possible to do a lot with pots. It's so possible. And it's just a case of regular food and water. So you're not unintentionally bonsaiing everything or starving it to death. And, you know, you can then, you know, change the compost that things are growing in. You can vary what you're doing. Um, you know, I've never had a garden with acidic soil before, but I can grow a crinodendron and a couple of lapageria in pots, obviously just manipulating what you're doing and how you're treating them. And it, you know, it just also when something's finished flowering and you don't want to look at it anymore, you know, have pots no. of bulbs, just whisk them out of the way and all the, you know, all the ugly daffodil foliage, which no one ever wants to look at, all those pots go down the side of the house and everything that's in flower stays behind those double doors like you saw. So it's a nice way of, you know, it's almost a bit floristry houseplant arrangement like <laughs> in the garden. It's exterior decoration, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Now on this podcast, we uh, we introduced this idea of FLOMO, which I think, although it's a kind of our term, is a is a feeling most gardeners are familiar with. Um, and while you have Wisley to play with, I would have thought with your small personal garden, that feeling of wanting things like a wish list of plants for you to grow in your own garden must be quite long. It always comes about. It always comes about. And not and now with Instagram, it's terrible because you see all these. <laughs> normally variegated things that are somewhere in flat flung parts of Japan usually and you think oh, I want that I need that and I've got no way of getting hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do, do you have um, do you keep things in your head do you screenshot things do you have a physical list that you write up how does your wish list work? Yeah I have that uh, I'm well now it is screenshots really you know in the last few years of using Instagram so screenshots and then I just keep an ideas folder on my main laptop and just literally dump loads of screen grabs of just ideas of displays of plant types of things that I'm into and it's fun just to go back and look at them sometimes I found that plant or done that idea and yeah it's you know I think having something like Instagram is really inspiring it's also very inspiring when you go back because your original plant wish list or your wants or your ideas, suddenly um, they, you, they kind of manipulate themselves in your brain into something else. So you come out with an entirely different idea. Um, so it's useful from that point of view, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, one of my uh, major lusts that I wanted for ages and then a very, very kind nurture man came across one and got in touch with me. Uh, was a and again some people will probably roll their eyes listening to this but it was a variegated form of Trachycarpus fortunii. Oh I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> 
<laughs> with big yellow bands across the fronds. It's an amazing thing. And uh, it can't take full sun because it does get sunburn on the variegation. But uh, rare as hen's teeth. And this chap managed to get hold of one for me. And we've got it in a shadier corner of the exotic garden at Wisley. Uh, and of course, when, when people who are into that kind of thing see it, the first question is, where can we get hold of it? And then the buyer oh. in the plant centre says, oh, God, where have you got this from? We've got no chance of finding this. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, keeps them on their toes. But it's one of those things that let, let somebody get their head around it and start propagating it from somewhere. It would obviously be very slow. Um, we've got some we've got massive trachycarpus here. In actual fact, they're becoming quite a weed in the garden because the birds take their fruit and sit on top of the hedges and they poo the stones out of <laughs> just they drop to the ground. And so we have trachycarpus uh, as a ground cover underneath our hedges. <laughs> <laughs> but in actual fact, you're quite right. They I think that we've got trachycarpus in sun, we've got them in shade, but the plants that are in park shade or shade grow much better than those in full sun. They're a lot more lush normally, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I haven't got hope in hell of finding it, but it's going to go on my wish list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I can show you the Wisley one at some point, guys. It'd be lovely if you could come to Wisley in the summer when hopefully this pandemic's under control and we're travelling oh, again. That'd be fantastic. Yes, oh, thank you very much. Yes, that would be You're wonderful. You're probably going to wish you'd never said it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great fun. I mean, it was, it was a long time since I came to East Ruston, to be honest. And uh, I did chat to you at the time, Alan, but you probably don't remember because it was a million years ago. Oh, yes, of course I do, liar. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea of Instagram as a source of, of Flomo, it, my phone is so full of screenshots. And some of them are from you, including that amazing, this is my Flomo for this week, and that amazing Hamamelis Pallida. Um, photo that uh, put up where it's like a beacon it's luminous in the gloaming I don't have any witch hazels but I'm more drawn to the orangey ones because I orange is one of my favorite colors but you see the the real glow of that lovely yellow witch hazel and um and I realize that I definitely need one in my life yeah they're, they're pretty awesome and actually on the kind of plant envy front one that I saw at the national collection of hamamelis which I was just like oh, I need that and uh, I've buttered up the collection holder and he's going to graph me some because I've sent him some scions of something he wanted from Wisley. But it's one called Spanish Spider. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. No. And it was when I saw it in flower there, it was the nearest thing I've seen to a white hamamelis. It was really, really, really pale petal, uh, probably almost like a, you know, a buttery yellow, uh, more with like a white tip. And anyway, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, wow, this is I mean, there's lots of reds, oranges and yellows in Hamamelis, but this one was just completely different. And I just thought, I've never, ever even heard of this thing before. It was phenomenal. So uh, I've asked him to, to do me a couple of graphs this winter. I think that's the way to go. Go with the light colours, Matt, because I don't know about you, but I feel that uh, with the um, Hamamelis today, lots of them have, uh, they're veering towards the kind of plummy colours. Um, and those plummy colours, they don't really show up terribly well in the winter on naked stems. I think no. you need to be from the oranges towards the yellows, towards the pale lemons. And I mean, this, um, what was it? Something spider, Spanish spider. Can't read my own writing. Spanish spider sounds fabulous. And it sounds like the way to go. It's really cool. And I completely agree with you. I think they do need careful thought. And if you're going to go with one of those really rich plummy ones, I think the best place is probably to wall train on a white wall where you're actually going to see the flowers. Good idea. Um, 
Right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they're at home in a woodland garden. But you think how dark and dank a woodland garden can be in January time when they're in flower. And if you plant something like Hiltingbury or Diane, or I mean, there's a lovely new one called Foxy Lady. But if it's got a dark backdrop, you just walk past it and you don't even see the flowers. No, no. Yeah, I think Instagram. Um, you have to be that, especially if you're more of a novice gardener like me. You have to be careful because much like with plant catalogues, the, the photo can be very alluring, but you have got to think about it in a, the actual real world context that it will grow in. Yeah, that's true. And actually, we, I mentioned before the variegated cheese plants, variegated monsters. I mean, when you see them on Instagram, they're perfection. When you grow them in reality, the variegation is so difficult not to either get sunburned or if it doesn't have enough light, all the white bits go brown and then you need to trim them back and they look terrible. But you never see that on Instagram. It's just perfection. And then when you spend £500 on one and then it suddenly all starts going brown where it's sunburned, no one ever talks about that. Well, can I let you into a secret? I, had a, I was gifted a variegated cheese plant probably seven or eight years ago. Um, and I tried my very best to grow it well um, and for me, it just wouldn't grow. It was very slow anyway. Um, and it, for me, it just wouldn't grow. And in the end, I did put it in the compost heap. I'm sorry, Sally and Don, but I did. <laughs> you could have sold it for hundreds of pounds, Alan. Now you tell me. <laughs> yeah, the prices they go for on eBay. So would your Spanish spider be your top flomo at the moment, Matthew? I'm quite into it. The other thing I saw on Instagram uh, recently, which I was like, oh my God, that's just gorgeous, is the variegated fiddle leaf fig, the variegated ficus lyrata. And I do like a ficus lyrata, but they have become quite uh, mainstream now, I think I can say. So you, you know, don't get excited about things you see all the time. But I saw the yeah. variegated one with a really good crisp white, quite a deep white margin. Oh, that's gorgeous. But I, think, I don't know where it was, probably in Japan again, and don't know how I'd get hold of it, but it was a bit of a screen grab moment. And how are you doing on the Flomo front over at East Ruston? Well, I've got about six here talking to Matt today. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the one that, um, the, the one plant that Matt has mentioned that I do want to explore, and that's that Podocarpus um, elongatus, is it? Um, because I do think that, I mean, it, it looks, to me, it looks nothing like a conifer. And that the fact that it's got glaucous foliage is absolutely fantastic. And I think, I mean, that would make an ideal um, candidate for planting in the Californian border where we've taken out eucalyptus trees and we've got space. <laughs> fantastic. I will, I'll uh, post. Is it difficult to, 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 to locate, Matt, that podocarpus or not? I don't know. I'm sure it must be in the plant finder. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, failing that, let me know and we'll just root you some semi-ripe cuttings from the Wisley one because it's so easy to root. Thank you very much. Well, th this has been so fun. So many plants. I always love one of these podcasts when Alan is constantly scribbling plant names down. I feel like it really is the podcast for plant lovers when Alan hasn't heard of things. <laughs> I thought he was bored and doing a shopping list or something. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, testament to how interesting you've been, Matthew. Thank you so much. Will you come back at some other time in the future when it's not snowing and we can see everything not under a blanket of snow? Of course, of course. I'd love to, like I say, I'd love to take you around Wisley. So maybe we can do a recording uh, on site in the garden together. Yes. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Wonderful. That would be. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All the best, Matt. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.